Memorial Boulevard, it's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. And Greg Tucker, it's it's his show today, but I just want everybody to know that I'm wearing my Oakland Patriots shirt and shorts today. And there's a reason. Yes. Oakland represented the state of Tennessee and Rutherford County last Saturday, and they came out very, very successful. And I think the the, the, the uh, probably every coach in in the United States is watching ESPN too, as Oakland and he took his team. Kevin Creasy did, and just absolutely represented us in high style. Not yeah. last Saturday. 31-13 to 13 victory over Mississippi, the best uh, team in the state of uh, Mississippi. All right. So you can't beat that. <laughs> I like to see my friends be successful. I, I don't know why I pull for all of you guys, but I do. Well, I'm glad you do. Yeah. It probably, yeah. It probably makes a difference. Yes, it does make a difference, at least for me. <laughs> I don't like to I don't like to see things lose that I'm pulling for. Well, let's see, there's a fellow out there that I'm pulling for, um, Marty Luffman. Yeah. I talked to him actually it's been about a week, but he's upbeat and said uh the therapists and all are predicting that he'll be walking by the end of September. Wow. Good uh, for Marty. Good comeback from yeah. being completely paralyzed below the waist after the accident. So uh, we'll get Marty on as soon as he feels up to it and let him catch us up on some local Smyrna history. Yeah, I can't wait to see him on horseback <laughs> shooting that pistol like Annie Oakley. If there's any way he can, I'm sure he'll do it again. Of course. Yeah. So how was your weekend? We got a little bit of stuff done that we've had trouble getting done on the farm, putting up the hay for the winter uh, because of the rain pattern and such. But uh -oh. uh, I did put 60 bales in the shed, big, large, good-looking bales. Uh, so and one of them was smoking, you said. Yeah, they, we worried about the fact uh, whether or not they were completely dried. Mm -hmm. I used to think that was an old wives' tale or something that hay would burn up. And I've seen it happen. I've had a couple of bales sit there and smoke until there was nothing but ash. Yeah. And uh, I would actually throw them down and and then let them spread them out and let them dry out. Yeah. Well, we we had three good drying days yeah. and uh, decided that it was good enough. That one bale, I just put it on top of the pile and it quit smoking. Uh, so I think we got it under control. Well, bless your heart. Out there in that heat and everything, you'd think that everything would be completely dry. We're looking at feels like 105, 110 degrees. <clears throat> you know, uh, Kevin uh, Creasy sent me a I, – I sent him a congratulations text because uh, they really did represent us well. And uh, – he said it back, I think he's, it was 118 feels like temperature down there. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> well, you could. I had on that tractor. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see. Oh, you had asked me uh, sometime back what was the status of the uh, remains of Nathan Bedford Forrest yes. and his wife, 
which we know were removed from their resting place in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, I now know that uh, they will be reburied on September 17th, 18th in that period. I guess probably Saturday, September 18th. Mm -hmm. There will be a uh, procession and such on September 17th. This is, uh, he's going to be buried back in the old family home, which is now a Sons of Confederate Veterans Museum in historic, it's called Historic Elm Springs, mm -hmm. Columbia, Tennessee, and uh, be uh, reburied with appropriate uh, ceremony. Yeah. And uh, I believe this, the uh, service is open to the public. It has been publicly announced and uh, will be conducted by the Sons of Confederate Veterans. Wow. And hopefully that part of the issue will uh, be put to rest. Have you ever been to that museum? No, I haven't. I haven't either. I, I didn't really even realize that it was down there. Yeah, it has been in development uh, for some time, and uh, I think now it's well established. Wow. Well, somebody with your historical knowledge, I'm surprised you haven't been down there. I also learned uh, keeping up with progress on our own local museum, uh, the painting, floor coverings, and such as that uh, were being finished up last time I visited, about a week ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, hopefully soon, and this fall, we'll start uh, putting some of the original exhibits in. And I was pleased to learn that uh, Dr. E.C. Talbert, one of my mentors, uh, is going to make available, uh, I guess on a long-term loan basis, his collection of medical artifacts. Wow. And uh, I know at one time, <laughs> some years back, uh, it was on display at uh, Oakland's, uh, but has not been available for public review for some time, uh, but it will be probably the first uh, of the private exhibits to be set up. And then we also will be getting several uh, exhibits, I understand, from the Tennessee State Museum, which relate uh, closely to Rutherford County. So uh, the museum uh, is going to be a reality, and uh, it'll probably be under development uh, for the next year. Yeah. as the exhibits are developed, put in place. And then uh, the, my understanding is that uh, we will look for and anticipate uh, new exhibits uh, over time as uh, the museum gets established. How far back does Dr. Talbert's, uh, um, the, the medical things that he's going to bring down? Early medical profession. What's that, 1800s, maybe even some late 1700s bleeding uh, equipment such as that. Wow. It used to be a popular medical practice. I don't want any of the doctors using that on me, I can tell you. <laughs> Bless their hearts. All right, what else you got? Uh, let's see, what else have we learned lately? Well, I got an interesting call from uh, another uh, player in our local history, Mike Lyles. Yep. Mike, you know, was a commissioner and a state legislator mm -hmm. for a while. Uh, his 
one of his several contributions to our, our local history is uh, for many years he's been a key figure in the Friends of the Battlefield. Mm -hmm. He lives right over on the edge of the battlefield, actually on the edge of the park. I'm sure that his property was part of the battlefield at one time. We a beautiful home over there. Uh, but he suggested that uh, we talk some about, and I need to do more research, the uh, period of occupation and uh, the uh, reconstruction. I have in my collection a copy of one of the congressional hearings. It's the actual record of the hearing, mm -hmm. verbatim record. Uh, during the time they were considering whether or not to readmit the uh, states of the Confederacy back into the Union. And what that involved was whether or not they would seat their representatives. Tennessee was first in line, uh, but there was still a great deal of testimony and inquiry and uh, interesting just briefing it quickly. The uh, They were treating the state in three sections, as we have yeah. always been. And uh, some of the testimony I was reading, East Tennessee was uh, loyal to the Union and ready to be represented. Mm -hmm. uh, Middle Tennessee was kind of on the fence, and West Tennessee was still in rebellion. Uh, this was in uh, 1866 when they began the oversight of Reconstruction. Uh, one of the issues that they, uh, the congressmen were asking the representatives from the state uh, related to the treatment of the former slaves. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is interesting that uh, in East Tennessee, where there were very few slaveholders, uh, the population was hostile to uh, the movement of the freed uh, slaves into East Tennessee. So on one hand, they were loyal. On the other hand, they didn't want any of the problems of uh, resettlement, employment, mm -hmm. support, and such as that. Middle Tennessee was the most cooperative. <laughs> as I said, West Tennessee in 1866 was still in rebellion. Uh, in Middle Tennessee, what they were talking about in the testimony was whether or not the landowners, uh, the farm properties, would reemploy the former slaves. And they had set a $15, $15 a month as appropriate payment. And in Middle Tennessee, that uh, was being adopted, and they were cooperating. West Tennessee said no. Uh, well, they had more farmland in West Tennessee. Yeah. Well, West Tennessee was the big cotton uh, and other uh, farming products yeah. of that era. And uh, they uh, were not ready to submit to the, to the Union uh, oversight. Uh, but that was just uh, a year or less. Yeah, it was January, February 66, so that was some of the first and earliest reporting. What would have happened if they uh, refused to readmit Tennessee into well, the Union? They didn't, so we'll never know what would have happened. <laughs> uh, Tennessee uh, was the first, last one out, first one in, as you remember. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'll bring the book in, and uh, we can 
explore it a little more in detail. Uh, interesting too, Mike's uh, phone call prompted me to uh, remember that in the revolutionary period, one of the uh, most severe complaints of the colonial population was what was called quartering of troops. The British troops would literally move into a neighborhood and move into private homes mm -hmm. and take up residence there uh, at the expense of the homeowner, but also just without any, what would you say, deference or respect to the, the uh, rights of a homeowner. Uh, and that was one of the things that uh, our founding fathers uh, worked to be sure it didn't happen with American troops mm -hmm. uh, until the Civil War. And we know that during the occupation of Murfreesboro, for example, uh, the uh, officers, uh, if you read it, and a good source of it is the Spence Annals and Diary of the Civil War, it was kept by John Spence, talks about how the officers would literally pick the house they wanted and either move the family out or push the family into one smaller area of the house mm -hmm. and would make it their headquarters and their base. And this was happening all over the area. Uh, on the other hand, they would punish the so-called secessionists. Uh, and the enemy targeted here was, again, reading the correspondence and such, those who had favored secession. Mm -hmm. uh, not focused, as some of us may think, on the slaveholders. It was the secessionists. Yeah. And uh, also those who joined in the Confederacy. Uh, one name that uh, we know well around Murfreesboro, Lineball. Yeah. Uh, descendants uh, of the uh, Civil War family. Uh, were prominent in the development of our library, uh, that line ball. But the line ball family lived out on Bradable Pike. Uh, those familiar with the area, the Chelsea Apartments, yeah. I can't tell you exactly where, but somewhere in that area, because in the literature we see where they were close to the uh, Woods Farm, which was a very big land holding right there that... Uh, taking all the Chelsea apartments in the Mercury area uh, at one time. But anyway, uh, Lineball, when the hostilities broke out, the father of the family joined the Confederacy and uh, was severely wounded, uh, came home early in the war, uh, disabled. Uh, and uh, the uh, occupying military burned his house in uh, retribution, I guess, for his having been part of the Confederacy. So uh, you know, they struggled through on the charity of their neighbors until uh, he died, at which time his wife and children, again, were dependent upon neighbors and such. Yeah. Uh, also, the uh, occupying forces the Union forces were very uh, aware that at least two raiders were potentially in the area. One was, of course, Forrest, 
who had routed the occupation the first time. Uh, the other one was Wheeler, who stayed in the area and would uh, harass the Union supply lines and such. And every once in a while, the uh, occupying military would get the rumor that one of them was about to attack. <clears throat> and uh, uh, what they did, among other things, was they would threaten the civilian population on the assumption that some of the civilians in the area were able to make contact with the raiders. And the threat was, if there is another raid, we're going to burn the whole town. The Union would burn the whole town. Including the courthouse. Raid, yeah. And of course, uh, there was never another raid after 60 1862 uh, until very, very late in the war when the battle, following the Battle of Franklin, when Forrest did uh, make a an approach towards Murfreesboro and uh, was betrayed by some of the uh, uh, Union sympathizers and uh, backed off. Uh, so they never carried out their threat, but that was a very uh, heavy threat that uh, if uh, one of these raiders attacks Murfreesboro again to you know, run the Union out. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll burn the town as we leave. So, uh, Isn't it wonderful how the South has always been the, the bad guys and the North has always been the good guys? I wonder how the media would be representing that in today's world if they had lived back in those times and, and seeing the horrors that were committed basically on both sides because it, well, war is a war. It's amazing. Yes. Did I stun you? <laughs> I don't know. I, can, I, I hesitate to speculate about how things would work today, but uh, there's an awful lot of this. Weekday mornings at 9. WGNS, your good neighbor station. Rutherford County's place to talk. We click in with traffic, news, and weather bulletins anytime. Good Neighbor Talk is your 24-7 connection. WGNS, AM, FM, and online. WGNS! Our family at Demas's Restaurant are proud to support local emergency responders who put their lives on the line for our community each and every day. This is Peter Demas, and here is this week's Demas's Emergency Responder of the Week. Rutherford County Sheriff's Deputy Scott Parker is dedicated to helping others. He was patrolling I-24 and noticed a woman with three children stranded on the roadside with a blowout. She attempted to change the tire but did not have the proper wrench to remove the lug nut. Deputy Parker came to the rescue and changed the tire. Thank you, Deputy Scott Parker with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. When you see a firefighter, police officer, paramedic, or telecommunicator going the extra mile, let WGNS know and we at Demas's Restaurant will salute them as the emergency responder of the week. Congratulations, you've retired. 
You might not be going into the office anymore, but you're finding that between the cleaning, the laundry, the lawn care, all of your home maintenance chores, you're still putting in a day's work every day. By moving to Adams Place Independent Living, the staff takes care of all that for you. Go to adamsplace.org to learn more or find us on Facebook. Adams Place. Generation 4 Creation presents the 20th Anniversary Grandparents Day Celebration with talent and creative grandchildren, grades K-12 for visual and performing arts. Saturday, September 11th at 4 p.m. at Right Now Rehearsal Studio, 1203 Park Avenue with longtime host Lynette Cole and a special tribute to Mary Glass. For reservations, log on to www.gfckids.org or call 615-890-7116. Generation 4 Creation. It's all about the kids. This is Lisa Halliburton at Bell Jewelers inviting you in to see our Waterford Crystal Collection to commemorate that special occasion. At Bell Jewelers, we have a nice selection of Swiss watches like the Longine, and then we also have the Seiko Collection. So stop in, we can personalize the back for a special occasion with engraving. Come by and see us at Bell Jewelers at 821 Northwest Broad Street. We're across the street from Toots. Hey fellas, it's Scott. I want to encourage you to make your health a priority. It's easier than you think at Low T Center. They're reinventing the doctor's visit, making it quick and easy to get all your levels checked, not just your testosterone levels. They offer a comprehensive health assessment so you know all the numbers important to your health. Low T Center exclusively specializes in men's wellness. They're one of the leading men's medical providers in the country. If you've been feeling tired, grumpy, have a lack of motivation and drive, or have noticed weight gain and loss of muscle mass, these could all be signs of low testosterone levels, low thyroid, or even sleep apnea. Low T Center will help you determine the cause of your symptoms and will help you get back to feeling your best. It all starts with their quick and easy health assessment and is covered by most health insurance. Low T Center is concierge medicine exclusively for us men. And now they offer monitored self-inject at-home testosterone treatments, providing convenience and additional health monitoring measures for your safety, including a take-home blood pressure monitoring cuff. To schedule your health assessment, go to LowTCenter.com. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Now, an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. Police in Murfreesboro investigating the theft of cars and tags from a Dodge dealership. The Challengers and Chargers were driven out of Beeman Dodge early Friday morning. The car thieves got the keys and about two dozen tags after disabling the security system. Several vehicles were stolen from a Knoxville dealership last week. A flash flood being issued for most of Middle Tennessee. The National Weather Service says Hurricane Ida will start dropping heavy rain west of I-65 on Monday night. Forecasters say the rain will spread across the remainder of Middle Tennessee on Tuesday and fall off Tuesday night. Between 2 to 5 inches of rain are expected to fall with severe weather possible. The musical The Music Man is set to open Friday evening, September 10th at the Springhouse Theater in Smyrna. There are 7.30 performances on Friday and Saturday nights, September 10th and 25th, and one Sunday matinee, 3.30, on September 26th. Springhouse Theater is on Old Nashville Highway in Smyrna. The Tennessee Department of Education will consider allowing a class or school to temporarily transition to remote learning. The Department of Education Commissioner Dr. Penny Schwinn made the announcement in a letter sent to the school leaders on Friday. 
Schwinn said the waivers allowing for a transition from in-person learning to online learning will be considered if necessary to allow students affected at the classroom or school level by COVID-19 to continue instruction. Schwinn said the waivers are not for entire districts and will be applied narrowly. Meanwhile, multiple school systems say they're closing over coronavirus concerns, among them Coffee County Schools. Warren and Wilson are also closed this week. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street, across from the tall NHC building. We've expanded our store. We've increased it about 600 square feet. We would just be very excited for everybody to come check us out. Proceeds from sales benefit Greenhouse Ministries, a faith-based nonprofit serving the underserved here in Murfreesboro. We were able to put merchandise into our store that we previously haven't had displayed. Maternity clothes, scrubs, activewear, pajamas. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street in downtown Murfreesboro. Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler. I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros. We offer a straightforward approach to service, including nationwide warranties with every purchase. Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at BudsTireProsTN.com. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. We'll see a few scattered showers and thunderstorms at times here this afternoon with cloudy sky conditions high in the upper 80s. Winds out of the southeast around 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 72. Premier Six Theater on Broad and Jackson Heights, showing all of your favorite movies. Call their hotline, 896-4100, or go see a movie.com. Popcorn pop fresh daily. Their movie hotline, 896-4100, or go see a movie.com. Premier Six on Broad and Jackson Heights. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And welcome back with Greg Tucker over here at Adams Place. We had a little glitch there for a a second. Well, ironically, we were talking about the problems we had last week. Yeah. That knocked us off the air. And the problem came up. Be careful what you talk about. Yeah. Yeah, I did hear a commercial, though, that reminded me of something I thought interesting. Two weeks ago, uh, the Rutherford County Historic Society had its annual, first time in two years, I think, uh, show and tell dinner, mm-hmm. where we invite the members. Uh, to bring something in and share it with us. And uh, again, my friend that we were talking about, E.C. Talbert, has a collection of antique uh, silver mm-hmm. tableware. He brought in uh, a couple of spoons uh, that were made by Rutherford County, Murfreesboro, silversmiths. Wow. And uh, one of them really caught my attention because the, uh, let's see if I can find his name here, uh, the silversmith was, 
working here in uh, Rutherford County. His name was Roulette, R-O-U-L-E-T. Actually, there's two roulettes in the list, and uh, the commentary and some of the literature suggests that it's probably the same. Did in he invent the wheel? Uh, the gambling wheel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's spelled different. Mm -hmm. R-O-U-L-E-T. Uh, silversmith, jeweler, Murfreesboro, mm -hmm. uh, 1854 to 60 is what they have estimated, the research that was done. He was in Murfreesboro. But it goes on to say that uh, in uh, the eight, about the early 1870s, it says he operated until the 1870s, and he had an apprentice working under him who from him. The, the apprentice was named William R. Bell. Mm -hmm. So Bell Jewelers actually, uh, well, we acknowledge Bell Jewelers as the oldest continuing business under the same name, same yeah. type business yeah. in, uh, in Mercer, in Rutherford County, dating from the 1870s. Well, apparently William R. Bell, uh, the namesake of the business at that time, uh, was the apprentice under roulette and bought the shop so that business if you differentiate or don't differentiate by the ownership uh, predates the Civil War it goes back to at least 1854 an antebellum business still uh, doing business and very prominent in the over 150 years old yeah the jewelry wow. business in Rutherford County uh, well, that brings up the question, if we wanted to consider what are the oldest business, uh, you have to define oldest business under one name, mm -hmm. which in this case, Bell Jewelers, William R. Bell, is under one name back to the seven, 1870s. But if we say the same type business, same uh, product, uh, continuous, we'd take this one back to 1854, even further. Uh, we've talked some about uh, the oldest business on the square. Bell, of course, was originally on the square mm -hmm. uh, and uh, now is over on Northwest Broad. Uh, same business, different owner. Mr. Bell's family doesn't own it anymore. Uh, but uh, obviously the same business. But uh, one might ask the question, well, what is the oldest business on the square? Uh, I think probably the continuous businesses on the square do not go back any further than World War II. But I'm aware of two that emerged very soon right after the war mm -hmm. and continue to be on the square. And one of them, I'm quite familiar with the history of uh, Holden Hardware, founded in 1948. And we've got the second generation operating that, that business now. The other one I think of is Shacklett's Photography, which also was uh, Claude Shacklett uh, came back from the war, already a well-known photographer, but set up his business on the square. I ought to talk to uh, his uh, children, who still have the business, mm -hmm. and see just exactly what the date was. Uh, but I know he was uh, doing a lot of photography work during the war period. Uh, and uh, established his shop there on the square at least uh, as early as the years right after the war. Uh, how about the oldest business 
in one family in uh, Rutherford County. That would be an interesting one. What about the pharmacists that were on the square? I, I think there were, or they, I think there were five at one time. At one time there were five, none of which are still, to my knowledge, uh, operating either in the same business, same place, or same family. Yeah. But uh, how about the Woodfin family? Oh, wow, yeah. And we're back uh, one, two, three. We're into the fourth generation. Uh, Shannon, daughter of uh, our friend Bubba Woodfin, the late yeah. Bubba Woodfin, uh, now is principal in the business. They have been in at least three locations over time, mm -hmm. uh, but are still an established business, continuous under the same family. Mm -hmm. They've had partners. At one time, it was Woodfin and Moore, but the Woodfins have been involved. I remember uh, Bubba talking about his grandfather starting the business which would have been back in the 1890s. So that would be interesting to see if we could verify the the oldest business in one family. Uh, you, you know, I don't know what it is, but the older the business and longer, as long as it's in the community, uh, you have a almost like a family relationship with them. Uh, I know that uh, Bubba was a good, good friend and, and of course his his family as they come down, uh, um, and but you know another uh, funeral home uh, at Jennings and Ayers goes way back, too. way back also. Yeah. And I, I went to school with um, uh, his daughter, uh, and uh, she was um, one of the sweetest people. There's something about the personality of people who run funeral homes. That they just really, uh, I, I I don't know. It's because they're the last one to see you go or whatever. But you 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 just really have a, a strong relationship with them. Well, uh, one thing I appreciate about the Jennings and Harris people, and of course, there's some of my good friends there too. But uh, they have helped preserve one of our historic homes. Uh, the portion of their facility there on South Church. Mm -hmm was the uh, Ledbetter home. Ledbetter, uh, very prominent name going on back, but uh, during the Civil War, the early years, early months of the Civil War, uh, Ledbetter, uh, I'm forgetting the first name, probably was William, uh, operated a foundry and was manufacturing rifles for mm -hmm. the Confederacy. and. Uh, one of his uh, descendants was, I believe, a congressman. Uh, but the middle part of the uh, funeral home facility there is the old hall, the old Ledbetter home. And I'm sorry to say that uh, we don't have as good a history of preservation of our historic properties uh, as, I, as I would hope to see. Uh, but uh, when you find a well, you call it a, a new business or an alternative use for the old uh, properties. Then we can hang on to them. I can understand when uh, there's just nothing that can make use of a property, then that property's at risk. So it's, what's the word now, repurposing. If you can either as a home or uh, as a new business, you know, then we, we can hold on to some of them. And you 
you know, I still have people who talk to me about the old jail on 400 West Main Street. And I was hoping that that would become a, a historic building. And um, all the stories that could be related to that old jail are, are so numerous. And, and uh, everybody, it seemed like, had a If you think that, I knew just about it that would be locked up in that jail. And I knew their families and their grandparents and all of that. Uh, for all those years, and I still have a strong memory of all the things that happened in that old jail for so many years, and people still can relate to a lot of the things that they had family members that would end up in the old jail and, and the stories that would get them there, and, and almost everybody in downtown Murfreesboro would come by. We didn't have the security measures that w like we do now uh, on Salem Pike, and we were open for people to just come in and and have a cup of coffee, eat eat some cabbage, and and uh, enjoy the company. And can you imagine how many people would actually come by and visit that old jail if it's still here? Well, we've written about and talked about uh, some uh, jail breaks. Mm -hmm. And uh, some fights and shootouts right there at the old jail. Yeah, a few and bullets went through the windows. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, it was the uh, lynching crowd on the front step, that kind of thing. A lot of history, and now it's a vacant lot, if I remember right. Yeah, I, I go by it, and I just absolutely—I'm sad when I go by. You think? But because there was a lot of memories there, we could put up at least a plaque. Uh, you know, and of course that wasn't the first jail, but it was a jail yeah. for a long, long time. Yeah, I had pictures of the old jail before that one, and they were not um, alike at all. Where was the pre prior jail? On In the, the same, same, side? same, yeah, same. That's what I thought. Same place. And the uh, the. Cornerstone, I guess, from the first jail was part of the jail you were responsible for there. Yeah, when we were and building got, the newer one, yeah, uh, uh, they did it. Prisoners would be in that old section, and then they would be transferred to the new one as it was completed back mm -hmm. in those days. And and it it wasn't an an an, an electronic type jail where all you had to do was push a button and everything would open up and all that stuff. It it, it was uh, everything was had, done by hand. You had keys, didn't you? Yeah, had keys <laughs> and had keys. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a very uh actually it was one of the safest jails because uh you would uh, be able to pull a lever and either open uh, one cell or all the cells at one time if, if there was something to happen during that time. Well, share with us then one of the incidents that you fondly recall. Uh, or maybe not. Well, fondly, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, there, I won't get into the bad, real bad things, but I remember that there was one guy that he was wanting to break out of the jail and he couldn't figure out how to do it so he went on a fast he was fasting for his food and trying to lose weight so he could actually fit through it was a very thin window that you, you could get through 
uh, over there where the post office was, right across the street. Right. And uh, we got a call from somebody from the post office saying, you've got a guy dangling down from your top floor, and he looked like his head can't get through. <laughs> and he... He forgot that the head was bigger than the rest of his body, so he was just he, he was just floating through the air, you might say, kicking and a screaming. So um, we we got him back in. Uh, there there's so many things that happened there. Well, no, I, I could it. write a book on. on yeah, you ought to uh, yeah. tell us how'd you get him back in? Push him back through? Well, we we, we pulled him through. <laughs> Grabbed him by the head yeah. and pulled him back. Bless down. his heart. <laughs> but uh, the the stories are just endless, and and you can imagine with all those different types of people, the different type of crimes they had committed. It, it was, uh, and that's why people wanted to come by the jail at the time. I think that they wanted to hear what the latest incident was there. Uh. Probably there's some people out there that like to hear some of your uh, worst stories, bad stories. I'm not telling those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe someday. Let's see. Uh, I also stumbled on some information, a little bit of trivia about uh, one of our uh, most prominent early names, the Murphy family. Oh, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed... Uh, doing a good bit of research there with Matt Murphy, mm -hmm. uh, one of my generation Murphys, the late Murphy. Uh, and I remember if you go through the genealogy, you see uh, over and over some of the same names. Uh, for instance, and this one's hard to pronounce because it's French name, N-O-A-I-L-L-E-S, and the family pronounces it Noai. And uh, it's used as a middle name and such. Uh, the authoress who wrote under the name Craddock, but her name was Mary Noai Murphy. We called it Noels here. Yeah, it uh, <laughs> looks like Noels. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it appears that they may be that family may be related by marriage to Lafayette, Marquis de Lafayette. Oh, really? The revolutionary hero from which everything we name Lafayette, yeah. Lafayette. Uh, his he was wife, down in the Gulf, wasn't he? Huh? He was down in the Gulf. No, you're thinking of Lafitte. <laughs> Jean Lafitte, the pirate. Lafayette came over and actually took over part of the command of George Washington and yeah. Washington's delegation. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came back in the, uh, he was hailed as a hero in Washington, very complimentary. And uh, Lafayette was actually a kid at the time, uh, late teens, early 20s when he mm -hmm. first came over. But he came back to visit in the 1830s, made a grand tour of the United States. And they renamed streets and towns and everything else for him. Yeah. But I stumbled on a reference to his marriage, which was in between his visits over here. And he married into the Noai family, uh, which, as described here, was a very prominent family in France. At the time, uh, would have been, I'd have to date it, whether it was before or after the French Revolution. 
but uh, that being the case, it's quite likely that the Murphys can claim a relationship by marriage to an in-law relationship to uh, the Marquis de Lafayette and uh, certainly uh, likelihood of a blood kin to his wife at the time. Well, what about, uh, how do they pronounce uh, Versailles back in those days, big boy? Versailles. That's, uh, that's my attempt to say it like my wife does. Uh, and Versailles, Versailles in our county is one of the remaining evidences of the fact that the French were dominant here for a relatively short period, yeah. pre-revolution. Uh, and uh, the... Native Americans, Native American Indians in the area uh, apparently understood or guessed that they would uh, do a little better with the French because the French came to do trade mm -hmm. and business and uh, traded with the Indians usually on a peaceful relationship. Those English colonials though, they seemed to want to move in and take over. So we had the several of the Indian tribes aligning with the French Mm -hmm. uh, when the French tried to establish New France uh, on the North American continent. And yeah. uh, it's usually given very, very short treatment in history, American history courses, but there was what's called the French and Indian War, mm -hmm. where George Washington first made his reputation. And, uh, but I, I remember being confused. Were the French and the Indians fighting each other? No, they had allied themselves and were fighting the British colonials at the time. You know what's amazing about the British, as far as I'm concerned, is the the colonialism of uh, of of that particular country. They they were they they were all over the world and uh, had taken over a lot of. Uh, uh, land, especially near the seas and, and all of that. And, and I've always wondered uh, what their particular reason was for it. I know that a lot of these uh, countries had uh, um, resources. resources, yeah, uh, kind of like, um, well, I don't want to put it in the same uh, uh, level as, as what the uh, Japanese were doing. But it, it was amazing how how much of that they had established over over centuries. Well, very much so, and it uh, held together, at least in name and appearance, until the 1950s. And at that time, many of them began to disappear. But I can remember in the early uh, parts of my education, when we did world history or geography, it did seem like the British were everywhere. Yeah. And uh, they had, uh, for many decades, if not centuries, the dominant war machine, the British Navy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they held their empire together from the uh, harbor. Yeah. Uh, they'd come in with the uh, Navy power and uh, take over the harbor and control much of the country that way. And the navies still is very strong there, and we're talking about the seas, but a lot of it would be the aircraft carriers themselves because uh, we found out, I guess it was in World War II where things started changing, that the strength was in, in on the seas and in the air. 
Yeah. And we, we've seen how much the, the air has meant uh, uh, as far as the strength of countries. And, of course, your dad was in the back sh uh, Black Sheep uh, Squadron. And uh, I'm, but Fly. I'm sure I'm sure he did. He share a lot of stories with you, or or no. was that something that was quietly done? I never heard any stories until the TV show, and then it was an attempt to correct the misimpressions that the TV show was making. Remember that the uh, Marines in the South Pacific were yes. flying were flying. Most of them, at one point, were flying a plane that was rejected by the Navy because the Navy wanted a plane that could land on the aircraft carrier, mm -hmm. uh, which eventually was worked out. But the first version of the Corsair, the F4U-1, was such a uh, challenge to hold together on landing mm -hmm. uh, that uh, they banned the original ones from the from the carriers yeah. and shipped them into the islands. So my father, the black sheep, and the other uh, squadrons in that theater of the war were all landing on uh, chain mail kind of uh, temporary airstrips. Mm -hmm. uh, they actually were a, a kind of a metal mat that they would spread down to support the planes on the sand. And then uh, crushed coral. They dug up a lot of coral, crushed it, and would roll it out. And apparently, it would pack down as hard as uh, asphalt or some types of cement. And they would land on that. It's amazing how that war, especially World War II, went about because uh, all of those small islands that were over there in the vicinity of Japan. They had to be taken over, and of course we sent in the Marines were a, a major part of that at the time, and of course the Army. But uh, well, it was amazing that uh, how they would land in nothing but just basically uh, a tree-laden uh, island somewhere, and then able to uh, build all of those uh, airplanes. That they did back in those days. I, I, that's I, I, every time I see it come on television, I've got to watch it. It, it. it amazes me every time I I see the creation ability of our country. Well, we took down a lot of coconut palm trees. Yeah, I've got pictures of where they put the airstrips in, and they would look like they'd even look for a big coconut plantation. Yeah, and I'm not sure what the plantation operators get from it, but uh, they would level the uh, rows of coconut palm trees and then come in with this uh, uh, crushed coral and make the airstrip. And uh, the CVs deserve an awful lot of oh, credit. Yeah. Got some friends around here who were formerly CVs because they would go in, and particularly in areas where there had been a heavy battle like Guadalcanal, uh, and clean up what's left of the enemy, and then just overnight build an airstrip and put up uh, housing of some kind. And uh, because the squadrons did not come in and settle down for the war, sometimes they'd be there just a week and they would move forward because mm -hmm. as far as the enemy fell back, the Marines and the Navy would move forward. So uh, 
you know, I've got a list of I think half dozen different places where the squadron was based during that period. And we were only talking about three, four months. Yeah. And uh, that area was literally swept clean of the Japanese presence. You said something about in the vicinity of Japan. Actually, if you look at a map, it's amazing how far Japan had extended its control. Yeah. They were threatening New Zealand and Australia, and had taken all of these islands uh, north of, of Australia. Not all. Uh, if you went far enough east along the chain, you eventually came to where the United States was able to set up its initial base mm -hmm. over in the New Hebrides, uh, Espirito Santo, some of those area, areas. It's amazing how many uh, countries they invaded, and much of that is just for the resources of, of those countries, because Japan had very little when you get right down to it especially when they're looking for domination in a large part of the war, oh, the yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, jumping back to Rutherford County for a moment. We talked, That's a long way back. Yeah, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how important, talk about prominent names, the Rucker name was in the mm -hmm. early days of the county. Uh, the four brothers who came in, I noted that uh, they married four sisters. And the sisters' family name was R-E-A-D. E in my source. I don't think that's related to the Reedies of uh, Readable, but a similar name. Uh, and you know, when you read they married four sisters, you can envision this great big wedding with four couples lined up. Yeah. No, it didn't work that way. In fact, uh, the second brother, second oldest, James, uh, I know was married before, and it was his second wife. First wife apparently died was a second wife that was the sister. So it may have been exposure through his brothers that worked it out. James was a little bit of a character, if you read about him. He was a minister. and uh, But as they were coming over, or soon after they got into this area, which they referred to as the Western Territories, uh, James' second wife gave birth to another son, and they named him... Western Territories Rucker. No imagination at all. No imagination, but a little mm -hmm. bit of a good good humor. Or maybe they just wanted a reminder that they had come a long way. Uh, he did not, uh, he prospered, but didn't live much past the 30s. Uh, but uh, was in the Western Territories for his, for his full life. You know, we... There's very few people that have the name Reedy anymore. Uh, of course, that's where Readable, the name, came from. But, you know, Rachel Wood is still with us. She was a Reedy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rachel is right at, well, she's over 100 years old now. Bless her heart. And there was Teeny. She married a Kathy. And uh, and they lived out at uh, Kittrell Reedle readable area for a long time and uh, uh, Sonny Elam is actually uh, has his blood kin to the the Reedies and of course you, you know he was uh, one of our elected officials for many many years. Well it's interesting how Rucker and Reedy allied themselves uh, when the effort was made to take the county seat away from Jefferson. Mm -hmm. 
Thomas Rucker was heavily invested in the Jefferson area. Reedy, obviously, Colonel Reedy was heavily invested in what we now call Reedville, yeah. that area, which was all a part of Rutherford County. Rutherford County extended over to almost what uh, today is the edge of the plateau, mm -hmm. as part of Rutherford County. So you had these two fellows in the remote parts of the, or remote from each other, one up in the northwest, one down in the southeast. But there was a road that was linked between them. And they were very concerned that if a new county seat was formed and was put over where the Murphys wanted it mm -hmm. and the Lytles wanted it, it would destroy their pattern of commerce because mm -hmm. a road might be diverted down away from one or the other. And uh, Colonel Reedy managed to get on the commission that was going to locate the place for the new county seat. Mm -hmm. Rucker was not, but apparently Rucker was, uh, how would you say, collaborating, working with Reedy. That's trying, a nice way to put it. Yeah, trying to get it. And what they did is they picked the spot halfway between, not quite halfway, but between, which now is where the uh, VA hospital is. And Brother James owned most of that, although by that time Thomas's family had moved down into that area as well. Uh, so Rucker offered his property uh, to be used for the new town. Mm -hmm. And uh, it finally came to a vote, and as we've talked about many times, Rucker lost by one vote. And uh, I'm confident that the Murphy and the Lytle influence was uh, very apparent there. Well, Reedy quit. Talk about a sore loser. He's, I don't blame him. Yeah, Bless his heart. He said, if you're not going to put it where I want it, uh, me and my friends. He did have, there was seven of them, and he had three votes. And uh, then, of course, Rucker's support. Uh, he vowed that he would never use or be part of Murfreesboro, and he kept his word. He went home to Readable and developed a fairly active uh, business community there back in the early 1800s. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, uh, the Reedy name is very prominent in our early, early history. Have you heard any rumors, and it's a rumor to me, uh, that uh, they're going to move the Readable Neil to somewhere in Murfreesboro? No. How could you move the mill? I don't know, but I have heard a rumor about that, that they would be moving it over somewhere off of a medical center parkway in that area. <laughs> I, I, I won't confirm that with some. That's well, not. And there's some equipment still good to visit if you're old and uh, see the old mill works there. Yeah. Uh, I could see the mill works being part of an industrial museum. It would be interesting, but I think they're more interesting on site. And of course, you have to have a try to run the water power mill but uh, there is uh, a change of ownership over there uh, 
the uh, home that's associated with yeah. the mill is now under redevelopment and uh, hopefully a lot of preservation consideration. We do have a phone call. M maybe there's someone that can set me straight. Caller, welcome aboard with Greg Tucker. Truman. Uh, yes. I was just listening, and I, I turned the radio off, so I might have missed what you... But I read something where the, the restaurant was moving over to the Medical Center Parkway. The goodness gracious, that's in so, the mill. Yeah. Yeah, so it, the one is right next the to the mill. Maybe that's kind of where the rumors are coming from. Okay. Typical rumor gets confused. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what part I, I, I missed I would know. I knew I... Oh, good. A little technical problem here. Wait. No, there's just a little delay. Well, so I, uh, let them finish and <laughs> it, it, we'll, we'll work it out. Okay. I'll hang up so you can take care of your medical your oh, technical you, no, problem. No, you're fine. Thank you so much. The voice of Brian. We yeah, but 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 I'm glad we had a, a bright lady to call and, yeah. and set me straight. Cause yeah, well, I was worried about it. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think we're through. All right, thank you, Truman. All right, guys, we will see you in the morning at nine o'clock, and Doctor uh, John Daniel Rudd will be on with us. We'll see you then. From NHC's Adams Place. Home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard. It's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.